So uh, Michelle made a little offhanded comment about our kids and soccer today. Um, we, my, our, our kids are all about soccer right now. Like every opportunity they have, they want to play soccer. And so they will probably play soccer in the rain. And so if you want to play soccer in the rain, if it's raining, if it's not raining, you can play with them too. Go for it. It means that I don't have to. Okay? I, they're all about soccer right now. They play soccer before school. They play soccer after school. They play soccer during school when they're allowed to. I've even heard them get in trouble for playing soccer during school. They just, they're, them and the friends are just soccer, 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 and a, a couple nights a week, they're playing soccer then too. It just, soccer seems to be, be their life right now, and, and you know, it's all fun. I mean, you're six and you're eight, that is a great way to go through life, right, playing soccer, and I, I can't fault them for that at all. Um, but what was amusing this past week is I got, we got to school a bit early, and the kids were dividing up to play soccer before school in that little window of time that they had, and as they were dividing, dividing up I heard them. Uh, I heard them saying the names of famous soccer players that they wanted to be called. They wanted to be known as famous soccer players. And there were three. Uh, oh, and you can put this picture up now. This is Messi. He's a uh, Lionel Messi, uh, famous soccer player for Argentina, helped win the World Cup this past year. There were at least three kids playing soccer that were known as Messi. Okay, very confusing. There was, but they did, they did this. There was Messi, there was Messi Jr., there was Messi Jr., Jr. That apparently was the cutoff because nobody wanted to be called Messi Jr., Jr., Jr. Um, but this is like, you know, the World Cup did a wonderful job at marketing soccer to our kids. They really did, okay? But they, they all wanted to be known by, as these famous soccer players, these famous world-class athletes. And as I was watching this, I thought, you know what, I get this. Like, when I was their age, I, when I was playing softball, I wanted to be Roberto Alomar, and so I did everything possible to be Roberto Alomar. <laughs> it wasn't a good Roberto Alomar, but I still, I do wanted to be him. And this is just what kids do. And, uh, and it isn't just that they were calling themselves by, by names. They, they were also emulating the different things that these soccer players do, including their victory celebrations. And so when we were at soccer on, on uh, mid midway through this week, one of the kids scored a really nice goal, I should say. For eight-year-olds, it was really good. And he scored this, and he did this victory celebration that I'm not even going to try to do because I'm going to look silly as a 42-year-old doing it. Um, and he totally pulled it off. And all the parents looked at each other, and they said, YouTube. They learned this from YouTube. And, and it was true. Like we've, The kids have watched this, and they've emulated it. And it's just fun, but it reminds us of how we can find ourselves trying to emulate the things that other people do. You know, the celebrations that these kids are copying are, are, are becoming a part of how they play the game. It's about part of how they just engage in this because they've seen somebody else do it and now it's becoming a part, of, a part of just how they play. You know, as we go about our daily lives, we are surrounded by a whole bunch of ideas and influences that likewise have the ability to shape us. You might not walk around doing victory dances whenever you do anything, but there are things that, that shape us that become a part of who we are. And some of these influences inspire us to be better people. They really do. But there are plenty of other influences that, that are inspiring us to be more selfish, uh, in fact, there's a, there's a huge emphasis, a huge narrative out there that life is really about, you know, our comfort, our pleasure, our success, our goals, and our achievements. These are the things that are supposed to be top priority in our lives. But think for a moment what that would mean for our relationships if we really internalize that narrative. It actually would make relationships really hard. 
In fact, being me-focused, being selfish, gets in the way of us actually experiencing the type of relationships that we yearn to have. Alternatively, when we make humility, when we allow humility to be a part of our relationships, I think what we find is we find something so much better. Describing humility, author C.S. Lewis says that humility is not somebody walking around telling people that they're a nobody. I mean, humility is not having a poor, self, a, a poor self-esteem. Rather, hum- humility looks like an encounter with somebody who, who is truly interested in the things that we have to say to them. And this interest in us reflects the fact that the person who is humble isn't really thinking about themselves a whole lot. They're actually focused on others. And this thought has been paraphrased as, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but is thinking about ourselves less. You know, the thing about humility is that humility strengthens our relationships with other people. It broadens our perspectives. It allows us to understand ourselves better as well as understand our context and our circumstances in in new ways. And humility has the ability to help us learn to be content with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. In short, humility is a really good thing and it creates new possibilities for us. Well, this morning we are getting to the end of our series on 1 Peter, and I, and I say that this is the end, but next week we're doing a loose ends piece where I skipped, if you were reading along with 1 Peter with us, uh, there's a couple verses I skipped, and you might be like, why did he skip those verses? Those are kind of weird. I want to know more about them. Well, we're going to circle back to that one next week, uh, and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure where it would have fit in this series, but we're going to circle back to it and just kind of get to, get to that in case you're wondering. But for all intents and purposes, today is the end of this series. Now, by way of reminder, 1 Peter is written to Christians living in the first century who are living in what is modern-day Turkey, and these are people who are, who are the minorities in their societies. They are living relatively isolated, and there are people who are looking down on them because they have chosen to follow Jesus. And so the purpose of 1 Peter has been to, to help uh, encourage these followers of Jesus to continue on in their faith. And to help them navigate um, the circumstances in which they live. And so in this passage this morning, Peter is emphasizing the practice. He's He's emphasizing the attitude of humility because he knows that humility is a trait that will help them navigate the circumstances that they're living in in partnership with God. And so this is our big idea this morning. That humility helps us navigate life in partnership with God. And so we're going to read from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1 to verse 11. And there's a couple extra verses I won't read that you can uh, read maybe a little bit later on your own. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, uh, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, I, I think that most people would say that humility, it's, it's a good thing. That said, I feel like humility is one of those things that often sounds aspirational rather than something that is pursued. This seems to be especially true in the area of leadership. Um, I can't tell you how many books and podcasts on leadership I've either read or listened to where the author or the host would say, you know what? Humility is a really good thing. It is promoted as this is an essential quality for leadership. But then if we went around the room and we decided to talk about prominent leaders that we are aware of, whether that people we've worked for or people we've seen in the media, we might come to the conclusion that humility isn't necessarily a top trait of those folks. Instead, we might realize that, you know, uh, things like being self-promotional, or having your own success in mind, or, or being willing to step on people who get in your way. These seem to be prominent traits of people in leadership. But as Peter talks about what leadership ought, leadership ought to be in, in the church, he points to this way of humility. And the point, our first point this morning is that humility earns us the right to influence others. In our passage today, Peter begins by talking to those folks that he calls the elders. These are the people who are giving spiritual leadership to these various small communities of followers of Jesus that have been scattered across this area of Asia. And what Peter understands is that what these followers of Jesus need, what these churches need, is they need people who care passionately about the people and the mission of the church. Now, I think Peter could have been really much more assertive than he is in this passage here, but he doesn't, he doesn't act in an assertive way. In fact, what he's doing for us, I think, models what this type of leadership is that he thinks that he believes that the church needs. And, and, and instead of coming across in an assertive way, the way he, what he, the way he talks to these leaders is, is like he's coming alongside them. He talks about these leaders being on almost at the same level that he is they are fellow leaders who will share in the glory that will, that will come. And out of this commonality, he encourages them to lead well. And he begins by reminding them of their calling. Their calling is to take care of God's flock. That is to say that the people that, they, that are in their care are not their people, but they're God's people that they've been given the responsibility to take care of. You know, sometimes as leaders, leaders uh, can find, uh, we can find ourselves thinking that the people who, are, who we are leading belong to us, and they belong to us to get what we want out of them. But here what, what Peter is saying is he's reminding his, his, these, these folks that this isn't the case, that the people they are leading, they belong to God, and it's God who, who cares for them, and it's God who has hopes and dreams for them, and, and they just happen to be the caretakers. They happen to be the people who are coming alongside of them for this journey. Now, while Peter doesn't use the word humble to describe leadership, what he says to these leadership is really what humility looks like. 
And there's three things that he wants them to internalize about what does it mean to, 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 to lead. The first is that humble leaders serve wholeheartedly. You know, the elders in, in the early church were often people who were selected by others to serve. And the temptation in a circumstance like that might be when somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, it's your turn, is to be like, oh, really? Me? I don't really want to do this. And Peter says, don't let that be your attitude. Instead, recognize the privilege that you have here and be all in. And what Peter's hoping for is that their, that their, their connection that they have to God will mean that, they, that these leaders will fully focus on caring for those in their care. The second thing is that humble leaders are, are motivated by people. You know, sometimes in reality, the motivation to lead is actually kind of selfish. One that's because it, 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 the leadership is tied to our employment and there's compensation involved. Or, or maybe there's an element of status uh, where it looks good if we're in leadership and we care about what other people see. And so we, we serve or we lead out of like, hey, it looks good. Or maybe we're trying to gather experiences that we could leverage for some other purpose. And when our motivations are, 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 are coming from these places, the reality is that we might not actually care for those that we, like we ought to because our attention is actually on us. Peter says, don't lead for selfish reasons, but be eager to serve. You know, love the people you are with and serve them because you want to see them succeed as a follower of Jesus. The third note here is that humble leaders serve as an example. You know, as Peter talks about leadership, he wants Christian leaders to, to have an understanding, uh, uh, to have a different understanding of what does it mean to lead than maybe they've witnessed in the society around them. I mean, Jesus talks about how some people in authority lord their position over those that they lead. And here, Peter says something similar. Now, to lord your position is to use your position uh, to your own advantage, maybe even contrary to what is actually in the best interest of others. Peter says, don't be like that. Rather, be examples. Use your life to show others what it looks like to follow Jesus in daily life. Be somebody that other people can look at and say, ah, that's what it looks like, or that's how you do it. Now, the risk about talking about leadership in a setting like this is that a bunch of us are going to say, well, I'm not a leader. Because we don't have a formal title or we don't have a formal role. And because of that, we don't see ourselves as, as leaders. I'm calling hogwash on that here. Because all of us, hogwash is the word I can say here. Uh, <laughs> it's nice that a board member was the first person who laughed at that. <laughs> um, but leadership is more than having a formal role or a title. Leadership is ultimately about having influence. And we each have people that we have the ability to influence who are a part of our lives. You know, I think if we look, step back and we looked at the people who had the greatest influence on us, we would recognize that, that it's not always the person with the title. It wasn't always that, that charismatic leader or that, that, the pastor or the politician or that authoritarian boss who had the greatest influence on us, but it was likely somebody who kind of gently came alongside of us that we didn't really think much of at, at the time. But they came alongside of us for a season for, or for a longer period, and they helped us discover things about ourselves or helped us understand things about the world or the job that we were working. or They just helped us learn things that we wouldn't have found out if, it, if we didn't have them as a part of our lives. And that is leadership. 
And I would suggest that pretty much all of us have the ability to exercise leadership or exercise influence like this, whether it be our kids or our grandkids or in a relationship with our neighbors or somebody at work or somebody at school. And it can go up and it can go down, it can go side to side, but we all have the ability to have influence and exercise leadership in our relationships. And because Peter is specifically talking about leadership in a church community, I'm going to get specific and say that in order for us in a community like this to be who God has called us to be, then we need humble leaders. We need people who are exercising humble influence. We need leaders who will joyfully engage in the mission and the vision of the church. You know, a, a humble leader is somebody who we can tell is genuinely excited about who we are and what we're about. And not only that, but humble leaders put people first. You know, it's not just about the system, it's not just about the organization, but it's about coming alongside somebody, cheering them on, because we want to see them be the, the, the best version of themselves with Jesus that they can be. And lastly, humble leaders let others in on their journey. You know, the temptation for some leaders is, is to keep people at arm's reach. But the type of leadership that the church needs is, is for people who will let others witness their journey and invite them to follow their example. Like, I might not have this all together, but come follow me. Or I learned this in my own, my own life. Can I share with you about this? And what humility does is humility earns us the right to lead. And as a result, the opportunity to witness God at work in, in, in our own life, but also in the lives of others. Do you remember the game Simon Says? Maybe some of you played that this week with your kids, or maybe you saw somebody play, you played this before. You either you were the, you were, played it with the child, or you were the child playing it. We've, we've played Simon Says, right? I don't need to explain the rules to this. If you do, we could talk about this at the picnic, and we'll run a big game of Simon Says, okay? Um, yeah, this week, at soccer, actually, okay? I gotta say, all my, all my illustrations have to do with sort of like with sports or sports adjacent today. I apologize to you non-sporting folks. Next week, I'll try to have no sports illustrations, okay? You can hold me to that. But I was sitting there watching uh, what was happening at soccer, and, and the coach had them doing Simon Says as a just, just a get-to-know-you activity, and they designated one child to be Simon, and, but the problem was nobody else wanted to do what Simon said, because everybody wanted to be Simon. And here's the problem. If everybody wants to be Simon, the game doesn't work, does it? And in fact, they all kind of stood around trying to be Simon, and nobody actually ended up having any fun. They all missed out on that experience. And in some ways, this type of, of thing happens to people all the time that we can find ourselves resisting the, the, the influence of others because we want to do our own thing. And in the process, we might miss out on an experience that might be good for us or might actually enrich us. And so our second point this morning is that humility enables us to benefit from the experience of others. Peter in this passage speaks to, to those that he calls younger. And I really don't think that what Peter's trying to say is that if you're a certain age, you are always the leader and, at a certain, and until you get that, that certain age, just because you're older doesn't mean you're automatically a leader. And just because you're younger it means that you're automatically a follower. I don't think that that's what Peter's saying necessarily. But we do need to recognize that in the times that Peter's writing in, that it was often those who were at a certain age that were in leadership. And so he, there's a generalization happening here. And so what he's, when he says, I'm speaking to those who are younger, he's speaking to those who are being led or who have the opportunity to be led. Now, Peter, in this conversation, uses the word submit, which is a way of, of talking about giving ourselves willingly to another person. 
It, it, it talks about how we set aside our own desires so that we can be open to receiving from another person. And in this way, what he's doing is he's encouraging, he's encouraging these folks to be open to the wisdom and experience of those who are there to lead them. And he connects this humility with the experience of God's favor. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, there's something about setting aside our pride and being willing to receive from somebody else that opens up new possibilities to us. And when we are open to the wisdom, when we're open to the experience, when we're open to the influence of somebody else, we're going to start to see the world differently. And when we open up ourselves to somebody who is a mature follower of Jesus, we're going to begin to learn things about Jesus and, and what it means to follow Jesus that may have previously eluded us. You know, life is complicated, and life is hard at times. And I do wonder if sometimes we make things harder than they need to be by not being open to the influence of others. Particularly those who are followers of Jesus that are a little bit further along in their journey than we are. Maybe because we're skeptical. Maybe because we've been hurt before and we've had a bad experience. But we need people to look up to as followers of Jesus that can help show us the way and what does it mean to follow Jesus both in the good times and in the hard times. And when we practice humility, it makes moments like that possible because we are open to what somebody else might be able to offer us. There was a point when I was younger when I, I thought that didn't last very long, but I thought that I was like one of the best people at playing sports at whatever team or group I was a part of, because I didn't last long. Um, because what happened was in elementary school, we hit track and field one year, and suddenly my, uh, my realizations of my athletic prowess kind of dissipated, because there was always somebody who could throw a ball farther than me, who could jump higher than me, who could jump further than me, could run faster than me, definitely run faster than me. There was always somebody. And so when my friends got first or second or third place ribbons, I got one of these, one of these wonderful little participant ribbons, right? Yeah, it, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. There, this, health, this experience was a healthy one for me to have because it grew in me a more accurate understanding of myself and my abilities and, appreci and an appreciation of the abilities of my peers. And that, that is humility. Humility is having an accurate view of, our understand of ourselves and our circumstances with no filter, no spin. It's an understanding, this is who I am, and that is humility, and humility is important because humility helps us see aspects of our circumstances that we might otherwise miss. And in this passage, Peter pivots from talking to leaders and to talking to those who are younger to talking to all followers of Jesus. And the point that he's making is that humility is to be characteristic of who we all are. He says, humble yourselves with the promise that those who are humble will be lifted up. That is to say that despite their current hardships, that God has not forgotten them, but that these, pro these promises are tied to humility, which, which Peter describes in terms of three things that actually, I think, bring clarity to our lives. The first is that humility results in a greater awareness of our circumstances. You know, because humility means that we are not just focused on ourselves, it can result in a shrewd awareness of what is really going on around us. And in this passage, Peter has in mind that there's a spiritual reality that perhaps his, his readers might not, not be aware of. 
And so he tells them to be sober-minded and alert. In other words, pay attention. Think clearly. Don't get caught up in everything that's happening. And he wants them to be aware that there's a spiritual dimension to life that includes uh, the devil or what we, we, might, we might also say Satan. Now, we could say a whole lot about Satan and the devil, and perhaps we should at some point. Peter actually doesn't get into it a whole lot here, and so we're not going to go too much further than Peter does. But when we talk about Satan or we talk about the devil, sometimes Christians go one of two ways. This is a mass generalization. I understand this, but it tends to go one of two ways. The first is, is to give a whole lot of credit to Satan and attributing to him the ability to do all sorts of things. And at this point, I just want to remind you, Satan is not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. And you and I as human beings and the rest of humanity, we bear the responsibility for our actions and for the decisions that we make. We can't pass the blame like sometimes we are tempted to do. Now, the other extreme is to be completely ignorant of the spiritual realities that exist. And so, um, Peter... Peter here is reminding us that, that what is right in front of us isn't all that there is. That, there's, that there are spiritual forces that are at work that are seeking to, to lead us astray. To perhaps tempt us, to, to strike fear in our hearts and to cause us to live in fear. And that that there, there is something else going on around us that Peter wants us to be aware of. Now Peter doesn't say this to scare us. Because he actually says, be sober-minded and alert. This is not about being hysterical or reactionary or even passing the blame. Rather, Peter is pointing this out so that we can better understand our, our circumstances and, better, and be thoughtful about how we engage life as followers of Jesus. That there's more to our experience than what we can immediately see. And so that kind of leads us into the second kind of point here about, about that that. Peter's making here about seeing our circumstances for uh, how humility helps us see our circumstances in a bigger way. And that is, humility helps us see that we are not alone. You know, while life is hard, when life is hard, it is easy to feel like we're isolated, like we're just doing it by ourselves, that there's nobody around us who's ever experienced the things that, we, that we're experiencing. And Peter says, no, wait, turn around. Look around at the community that you are a part of. Your experience you know, is not unique to you. In fact, other people are going through the experience of hardship that you are going through. And so there's a connection that he is drawing to something bigger. You are a part of something bigger. God and, 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 and the people that you are connected with who are likewise going through the journey that you are going through, they are experiencing God at work in them, sustaining them, strengthening them, helping them figure out the next steps that they are supposed to take. You have not been left alone. Look around, Peter's saying. And the last thing is that humility helps us reach out to God when life seems hard. You know, when, when things seem difficult, it is hard to kind of get outside of ourselves. It could be, I know that when things are hard for, for me, for us, I often find myself thinking about, what do I need to do? How can I fix my circumstances? How do I need to respond? And it becomes very me-focused. And you know what? An inward focus is very understandable when we find ourselves in a situation where it's hard. But Peter suggests another way that can actually help us see beyond our current circumstances and actually access the help that we need when we find ourselves in those difficult times. Peter says he invites us to engage in the practice of casting all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our worries and our burdens and our fears, to, to give that all to God. And what I think this looks like is a brutally honest type of prayer 
where we just say, God, this is what's bothering me. This is what I feel like is holding me back. This is what I feel like is getting in the way, where we rant, where we scream, where we yell, where we maybe cuss a little bit. That's, that's okay in a prayer. Can I say that? God can handle it. Where we actually are honest about what's going on inside of us, and we are laying it out, and we are saying, God, this is what is wrong. I need your help. And when we are honest enough, when we are humble enough to lay that out before God, we are then in a position to receive from God and to have him meet us in that space and to relieve us of our burdens and to see things in ways that previously we wouldn't have seen before and to experience God's care. You know, throughout this series, we've acknowledged that we live in a society that doesn't know or share our story as followers of Jesus. And sometimes what this means is that we find ourselves struggling to know what are the next steps that we are supposed to take? How are we supposed to navigate the relationships that we have? Because my starting point and their starting point might be someplace different. I'm looking at, the, at life and, and relationships through the lens of Jesus, but my neighbor might not be. How do we, how do we even begin? I wonder if this posture of humility that Peter ends with can, can be really helpful for us in figuring out where do we go, how do we, how do we navigate this? You know, so often it seems the posture that, that Christians have towards culture is to be combative, to be argumentative, to be seeking to win something. The reality is for Peter's audience, that wasn't an option. That sort of demanding my rights thing wasn't going to work for them. Instead, Peter paints a picture of an alternative way that includes being humble. And this should give us pause. You know, what would this look like if we were to engage life with a posture of humility first? What would it mean for our, in our relationships with our friends and our family and our coworkers? What difference would it make in the lives of other people? What difference would it make in our own lives if we started from the place of humility? And how would that help us Adopting that posture of humility help us have access to some of those God, uh, you know, God-given, Spirit-given resources that we have available to us as followers of Jesus if we actually said, God, I'm open. And it all starts with being rooted in, in our relationship with God. And the thing I really like about our closing song this morning, and maybe I could actually, the worship team can come on up, um, is that our closing song invites us to, to find ourselves rooted in, in who God is and in God's goodness. And so as we sing together this morning, sorry, I just cut Ainsley off. As we sing together this morning, I'm going to invite us to, uh, to, use the, to think about this as an opportunity to reflect. You know, how have we seen God show up in our lives to prove himself faithful to us? How has he given us what we've needed in moments that have seen hard? Who has shown up in that moment where we felt all alone? What was that moment of comfort when everything felt lost? And the song also not only invites us to remember, but it invites us to commit ourselves to, to God and to his way of love and to say, God, I'm, I'm yours. And that's something that we do each and every day as followers of Jesus. We wake up and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Can you help me follow you? I need to do that today. And in a way, this, this closing song invites us in that direction to reflect on how God has been faithful, how God has been good for, to us, and, and, to, and to give ourselves to him all over again. And as we do that, we will experience God giving us good things and, and equipping us. And humility is one of those good things for life that God gives.